Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees. This evening I have a very, very special guest. Um, she is a extremely talented woman, a top-of-the-class veterinarian. She was one of the few women that graduated from Veterinary uh, School of Medicine in UC Davis, and the best quality about her is I get to call her mom. Tonight I'm with Dr. Cheryl Joy Melhoff-Shunk, and she has brought a lot of joy to my life and a lot of joy to others around her through her grace and overall demeanor. Mom, good to have you. Welcome to the show. Um, I look forward to our conversation. And, and so do I. Thank you for the... Uh... Very uh, gracious intro there, David. No problem. So, uh, Mom, why don't you just kind of tell us a little about yourself for the listeners? I mean, I know most of it, but that's fine. You can talk about where you're from, maybe what got you into veterinary medicine, just some basic facts that you'd like to share. Sure. I uh, grew up in, in the farmland part of California um, in a small town. Um, always like to be out of doors, um, you know, like school, went to UC Berkeley as an undergraduate and decided at the end of my undergraduate career that I probably needed to pick a profession because <laughs> I wanted, I really wanted to do something, you know, with my life. And as it turns out, I chose veterinary medicine. I went into it because I wanted to be outside. I had the idea that I would be um, working with uh, cows and dairy farm. Um, and as life proceeded and I, I continued my training, I um, found that I enjoyed small animal work and went on to continue uh, to do an internship and a residency out on the East Coast and met um David's dad while we were working at Tufts University um in the teaching hospital as as uh professors um that's sort of the, the that's the background very nice yes um and I believe you told me on one of the trips to California that you were actually prom queen is that correct <laughs> now you're going way back. Hey, I told yes, you. I was, I was going very. Down. I was going to bring up facts. I think that I was the protest prom queen. I was very much the opposite of that. Very um, active and athletic when um, in the 1960s, when that wasn't exactly the the vogue for for most women. Um, but somehow someone nominated me and I ended up as a, a prom queen, which was a, it, during life, I always find that things like that that are way outside your comfort zone are always an interesting experience. And that was way outside my comfort zone, David, but as yeah, I sorry, pass I, on to you, sometimes those are the best learning experiences. Yeah, I had to bring that up. Sorry, I just wanted to confirm that <laughs> yeah, to everyone yeah. that if people who know you best would probably be amazed to know that, but it's true. Um, you were voted as one back back then. So that's awesome. So let's move forward to, you know, adoption. Obviously, that's what the podcast is about. Yeah. So about uh, 
you know, what year was it? When did you first start um, having this conversation of um, adopting a child uh, with um, Ken, uh, my, my dad, with dad? When did you first having like start having this conversation about it? How did it come about? Well, Ken and I didn't really meet until, again, we had uh, been working on our careers and having going on with life and didn't really meet the partner that you wanted to spend your life with until we were both in our late 30s. So we were uh, working at the university and found ourselves doing more and more academic um, administrative work and decided that what we really like to do is take care of dogs and cats. So we made the plan to leave uh, academic life and start a hospital. Um, we did that about the same year that we got married and our friend said, well, you should um, start trying to get pregnant because I was almost 40. Um, and so we took their advice and a month later, um, I was pregnant with Andrew's older brother. We, uh, I, think so you that, mean, that, I think you mean David's older brother. Yeah, David's older. Brother, <laughs> I, I hope. Thank not. you. <laughs> yeah. And so we moved up. We we moved up to New Hampshire, started a practice, and um, Andrew was born. And then we tried to repeat that feat for about five years. And the the uh, one month try of of getting pregnant um, wasn't working as well. And that's how the idea of we really wanted to have a family. We wanted to join, um, you know, as a family, we loved Andrew dearly, but he wanted a sibling also, at least one, and it wasn't happening biologically for us. Um, at, at that time, we were in our 40s, and uh, domestic adoption was pretty much unknown uh, in the... 1980s 1990s um if you were 40 and older we were we were deemed as too old to adopt within the united states um that gave us the option of of international adoption and our our um our reasoning and 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 some of it is it just sort of happens the way it happens i i'm a true believer that life works out sometimes not the way you planned it but works out that offers you something to learn about and and offers you something better than what you would have planned yourself so we had eastern european background uh, both uh, uh ken and i and the ussr had just divided and and russia had become an independent um country uh, and was off and on from the early 90s open for adoption. So we um, were approved, went through the MAPS um, adoption agency in Maine and uh, decided that we would try uh, to identify a child uh, in Russia um, that might want to come join our family. Not that you had a big choice, David. <laughs> nope, but that's and, okay. At that point. Worked out. That's, that's the, that was the whole reasoning process. And I think that, you know, people often ask, 
you know, do you, do you feel any differently about your biological, we have a biological child and, and we have an adopted child and do you feel any differently? And I would say very straightforwardly, um, having a biological child was a whole lot easier physically and emotionally than, than was adopting. It is, it is, it's certainly not the easy way out. Um, there's a lot of, uh, uh um, um, emotional reactions that you have, a lot of decisions you have to make. Um, and in the end, somehow, I think life connects you to the child that's supposed to be in your family. Um, and that's sort of the way it, it turns out. We were offered a, um, a, an adoption agreement um, for David, who at the time was in Smolensk in a small baby home. Um, and I would have to say once the video, we did have the option of having videos. Once the videos came through and we saw him, we talked about it and we said, yes, that that's the child that we want to adopt. From that time forward, it was like someone else had our child. It was a very difficult time. The only thing I wanted to do was jump on a plane and go retrieve our child. Because I, I think that when you have a biological child, you go to the nursery and they hand you your child and that's your child. You don't look in the crib next to the child that they just handed you and say, well, maybe I want that one more. It doesn't work, for me anyway, I think every person is much different. Every experience is much different, but for me, it was from the point that we said, yes, um, we want to adopt David, um, whose name was Maxime at the time. Uh, it, it was an emotional bond that it was very painful and very difficult because we had to wait. Um, and I'll go into that in a minute. We had to wait to uh, go to the baby home and, and to finalize the adoption and to bring him home. Um, so that that's that's the story of how we got there and the answer to the, do you feel any differently about your, your uh, biological child than your adopted child? I think I'm more protective um, for some reason um, and um, value um, that the adopted child uh, certainly probably more um, that your body just sort of hands you your your birth child you you, you choose your adopted child yeah and, I was going to say there's a there's a famous quote um, that I've heard many adoptees use in the past it's comparing biological children and adopted children where if you're a biological child the mother had you because they had to like they had to have you as a as their kid and be if you're adopted it's because the pair it's because your future family they wanted you so there's that they, they they say that quote by basically saying you know well i felt loved right away because you know they had to put more effort in or they had to they wanted they reached out specifically for me that child they made the effort to go there rather than you know you know, it came out of my body in the hospital. It's mine. <laughs> yeah, you were chosen. And one way or the other, I, I, I truly believe that, you know, life, God, 
um, the the karma of the world puts puts people together, and um, and that's the way that I feel. It was it was meant to be. I did. I don't know why we we chose you, David. Um, but or why you were offered to us in particular. I think it was um, my irresistible brown eyes. It must have been great smile. Well, that sold <laughs> us that, uh, and it also was the agent that David has gotten to know, also um, who is working for Maps in Russia, who um, put the two, put our family and David together, and we'll be forever grateful for that. Mercy, um, that's right, Mercy. Yes, great woman. Um, he, the the next step in in our whole story. Uh, was that at the beginning of the 1990s, um, there were no rules governing international adoption. So it was very uh, sort of wild and crazy. I think that there were, uh, as I understand it, I wasn't adopting at that time, but that there were adoptions that were ha happening without a lot of regulations because they weren't using the USSR um, rules and Russia hadn't, hadn't created any yet. So somewhere in the 95, year 95, in the fall, um, David at just under a year of age was um, offered to us for adoption. And we said yes. And I was about ready to get on the plane and um, in October, and fly to Russia, and we got the news that the Russian government had decided that they really needed to have a system. So they had, which I think was a was a good system. It was, it drove us crazy, but it was all Russian children that were in uh, baby homes had to be uh, registered, and their names had to be in a, in a computer system in Moscow so that family members and they had to be there for three months, I believe was the time period, um, giving family members adequate time to find those children, identify them and, and adopt them um, or give them a home themselves. So we had a waiting period. We thought we would be able to get in just under the wire and adopt him and bring him home. And then this good law occurred and we were unable to, to travel. So we waited um, through the, the months and kept calling and saying, well, is his name in the computer yet? I think it was two months from the time that his name was in the computer. And I was getting really angry because the head of the home hadn't, put his name in the computer yet after like two weeks or something. When I finally traveled to Smolensk and realized that it's a six and a half hour, very rough car ride from Smolensk to Russia to put one child's name in the computer so you can drive six and a half hours back in the, um, which was not a, a an easy car ride. Then I started to understand why it took them two weeks to, to register his name. So once he was in the registry for, for two months, um, he uh, we got the notice that we could travel and 
um, and come to the baby home and finalize the paperwork, which we did. My David's grandmother, who is a hoot, who passed away at, uh, at almost 95 um, and was still going strong, um, traveled with me. I think she was 72 at the time, uh, or 73, traveled with me because uh, Ken stayed home with um, David's older brother. And my, my mother traveled with me to Russia. The whole process is a little bit of a blur, but looking back on it and having talked to the Russian agent Zoya, who, who helped us, it was very much of a breath holder because in certain, the gov, theoretically at that time, the governor had to sign off on the, um, on the paperwork um, and present it to a committee. Well, the committees didn't exist. So the, the, the committee had to decide whether this child could be internationally adopted and leave the country. And those committees didn't exist. So theoretically, there wasn't a way to finalize this adoption. Fortunately, um, Zoya found some way in within the town of Smolensk to have the paperwork signed, uh, make it legal, um, we were able to finish that part and bring David back to Moscow. Then we needed to get our, his visa. And so we were there for a couple of days. And as we were changing our plane ticket so we could go home a day earlier because everything was going smoothly. And, and this still makes me cry. We ran into a number of families who had been there, met their potential adopted children and the governor of the area of Moscow refused to sign any of the adoption papers. So basically they had come, met the, the children that they were ready to adopt and were told that there wasn't a way to do that and were they were making reservations for tickets to fly home without their child. And you would have to have been through, as I, I think some of you listening to this, probably have been to be able to relate to the the pain um that that those families must have been feeling um and that also has always made me i don't know how much of this i've shared with you david but the gratefulness of us being able to um get you on a plane and you often ask me about what my memories are of that um, of that trip. And my, you know, grandma and I went to Red Square and we took a couple pictures and and we, you know, enjoyed the trip across the, the plains in the middle of the winter out to uh, um, Smolensk. But pretty much the only thing I remember is I wanted to finish the paperwork and get you home. That that was the I, it was a blur. Well, it, it, I remember, I think you told me, which was pretty impressive, that you and Grammy were able to do the entire process of signing the paperwork, getting me to Moscow and getting me out of there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you told me five days you did everything. Yeah, I and, think it was six. It was under yeah, a week. That, that's impressive. A lot of adopted families had to do multiple trips to Russia, sometimes wait over a month to get things done. 
and you managed to go in there, which I'm honestly not surprised because people who know you, you, you get things done. You don't mess around. So, well, it was, you know, a lot of it was luck and then a tremendous amount of it was the, the groundwork of the interpreter who was a, a university student and Zoya, who was their uh, maps contact at the time that um, I think took a lot of emotional um stress for her to identify these children and to know whether she was doing the right thing matching them up with families and to and to send you home with us um and didn't have a lot of support that I think that at the at the time there was a rumor within a lot of the Russian people that um the only reason that Americans would adopt the children is to for labor force or for organ transplants is is what you know I was and and I and I always was thought that 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 couldn't possibly be true but over the years I, I think that it is there was a there was a feeling that there had to be something sketchy about us wanting to um adopt children of of Russian background yeah, no, and, and that's, to me, that, that's it was true. Same, it was very much the same. And, you know, a child that wasn't the same, you know, sort of genetic background or or um, a cultural background, um, I, I think would have worked also. But this, this we were, was just what we chose. And it, it I'm glad we did. Well, I'm glad too. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the whole thing I remember you saying was yeah, a blur. And I mean, going through that, you know, I, I, I'll never be able to understand it unless I end up adopting a child, which I think would be pretty cool. Um, maybe, who knows? But um, so, yeah, that was a lot. All right. So my next question would be, um, after you went through the process, you know, you adopted me, um, came back to the United States. Um, what, what was it like adjusting to having me, I guess, or in the family? Um, well, you know, we hear stories about some children who are adopted. They don't, um, they don't acclimate well in the new environment with some adoptive families. Uh, there's some factors that play into it in terms of them molding into the family dynamic and everything. Some of them face rejection, some don't. Um, for the record, I'd never faced rejection. <laughs> I'm lucky, I guess. Um, but I guess, how did I, you know, from the early ages um, as a child, um, what, what would your opinion be of me fitting into, you know, American culture or into the family in your well, words? Yeah, I, th I think that you, you were very young. Um, you were also really incredibly cute <laughs> and I hope and, I still but, am. And yeah, <laughs> be humble and kind. I am. <laughs> yes, I know you are. Yes, mom. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, we had, um, because both my husband and I worked running a practice together, we had to have support. And we had uh, a young woman who had worked with us and for us helping to, I called her my home manager. Some people would call her a nanny, but she was more 
a house manager. She did all the things um, for the kids and for the house that I may not be able to do because I'm at work so that when I did get home, I was able to spend time with you. But Andrew and his best friend, who was a girl from next door that was a year older, um, were so looking forward to having you join them. You know, you were sort of like their their play toy. Unfortunately, we had to look out for you. So they, they uh, but everyone had waited for this process. And then instead of having a tiny infant, they had a, a real live human being that you had just learned how to walk. Um, and all you wanted to do was, was chuck around. So there was somebody all the time that was following you around. The, you were, um, you were fun to be with. And I don't think that there was any real, it certainly was an acceptance that everybody was really excited. Sue's the, her nanny was excited. She had actually waited um, to go back to having a full-time position because Andrew was in school and everything just sort of fell in place. And the grandparents, um, David's uh, parents are from the Midwest. And I would say that they were, they're, um, pretty conservative because that's their background. They were farmers from the, the Midwest. Their exposure to all sorts of different lifestyles and, and things. And so I guess I had some question about, they had six other, seven other grandkids at the time. Um, and this was going to be one of the, the younger ones. Um, and, and, and then the only adopted grandchild so i i sort of wondered how they would um react to that and i think you were the you were the only grandchild that grampy carried around i think he was that's older, right retired and comfortable enough with the grandkids he figured that was his last chance and you and grampy were were best buddies and they didn't miss a beat and they i don't think felt any differently than um, and, and certainly my mom who traveled with me and was part of the whole experience didn't feel any differently. So yes, you integrated into our family, um, extremely well. I would say that it's, every family has a different experience and every person with that experience, every parent with that experience, um, emotionally deals with it differently. I would, I think that if there was, it wasn't a conflict, it was just a, a way of parenting that needed to be worked out. You and Andrew were five and a half years apart in age. So there was a big age difference. And and David was quiet and, and had absolutely no desire to go get hit by a football. Um, and that's pretty much all Andrew wanted to do. So they were very, their interests were different. They, they, um, and so orchestrating that into a family and making the family work um, as a, as a unit and having us all enjoy each other was probably the only challenge, but that's, that's, 
it isn't about being adopted or not being adopted. It's about parenting with each child being a unique individual that needs to be supported to be the person that they are. Right. I, I think over the years, you and Andrew have uh, come from different directions. And, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, the age difference was one thing because um, he was way into sports. I mean, I was just decent, you know, nothing, nothing that great at sports. But Andrew was more of the athletic star. And I got into, you know, piano and music with you. So that was kind of our thing. Um, but yeah, so that, that was that was a good answer. I like that a lot. Um, so I guess as we move forward a little bit, um, I'd say the next big phase uh, about adoption that I'd like to kind of talk about is um, when did I start asking questions about being adopted, being from Russia? Do you remember what age I was actually when I started questioning like why me, why was I adopted? You were always, I wouldn't say it was covert. You were always very quiet about your thought process until you had something figured out. There was never any, see everybody in town, all of our friends and all of Andrew's friends all knew that this adoption was going to happen. So it wasn't like there was anything that was a surprise about the fact that you were adopted. It was always a very open um that you were adopted you were young and so um integrating into the the culture and uh and the school system um and the language i think was um was not terribly uh difficult for you you knew all along and we always told you, we would tell you everything that we knew about your adoption. And truthfully, um, the, in the English translations of the documents, there was, we, we did tell you everything that we knew. I think as the story goes, you know, when you, you learned Russian and had some of the documents translated, there was other information that was there. Some of the information when you were very young, um, we didn't share with you, mostly because we didn't know how true it was. Um, it, it is very common as, as we were told for the father on the birth certificate to not really be the father. Um, and many of the children, so that they could be eligible for international adoption had um, health issues on their medical records um, because a health issue that could be treated in the United States allowed them to be adopted. Um, but you didn't know if it was true or not. So. Right. No, I remember. Uh, yeah, no, you and. You a and lot Jeff. of the, yeah, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the information we didn't share with you because they're, you know, telling you at, at age five that you're, that your paperwork says you're hydrocephalic, you know, it is like, what does that mean? And explaining that your father may not really be your father, you know, what does that mean when you're five? 
So we left it that it's there when you wanted to ask questions, you you could. And I did to in my memory, David, I don't think that you asked questions. You went to the safe and took out the documents and found the answers. Was it that you were actually sneaking yeah, that, in? That, that sounds it, about right. Yeah. Yeah, it was just who you who you were. And you had I knew that you were interested and you had brought up a number of times that you wanted to find your biological family. And I think our comments were honestly not that we were concerned about that or that we didn't want you to do that. Uh, we uh, didn't know how to do that and we're pretty certain that that wasn't an option and wasn't available. As it turns out, you took the bull by the horn, so to speak, and and figured out a way to research and to find your adoptive parents. And we and um, you probably started. Um, I think you probably started asking about uh, questions directly to us in somewhere probably fifth or sixth grade, middle school. We knew you were interested. And had said, well, gee, when you're 18 or so, we'll look into it. Um, and you sort of, and, and didn't really have any hope that there was anything more that was going to be available. We thought that what we knew is what is, is what we knew. Right. I mean, I kind of, I, I definitely remember times asking what you know, and I remember the same explanation was always, you know, you were born from like, to put it in simple terms, you would tell me as a child, you'd say, you were born from someone else in Russia, the living conditions were tough, they were really poor, and you you couldn't be raised over there. And, you know, that's why we came in. And now you're with us to, you know, so you explained it fairly well. But honestly, yeah. Yeah, and that was the information that, right. that we had, right. there really was a limited amount. If we asked direct questions at the baby home, they said, well, it's all in the medical records. Um, that they really weren't very forthcoming with us, and we were told that a lot of the information is is just not going to to be available. Um, right. And, and so, I think a lot. It sounds like it seems like, and 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 you can answer this in the in the discussion that. I think adoptees tend to think that the adopted parents are hiding something from them. Um, and I've always felt that you probably thought that we were uninterested, that we didn't want you to look, uh, and um, and that we were trying to hide something from you. And in, in reality, we just didn't believe that there was anything there. And from a the honest answer from an adopted parent is when you do did start to look, there are just a whole myriad of emotions that you go through. I I know that family background, um, I don't think about it, but does it give me the support of knowing who I am and having grown up and had confidence because I knew who my parents were, um, who my biological parents were. I can see that that was, that would be important for you. 
And I never believed that I that there was a conflict that I needed to replace your biological mother. That I needed to be your mother, but I I I I didn't have I was never going to be your biological mother. I couldn't I I couldn't fill that role because it it wasn't reality. Um, but there were a whole lot of emotions as you started to to look with what is he you know more fear of what you're going to find fear that you're going to be hurt fear that you're not going to find something um you know somewhat i i think that um you remember all of my friends telling you as you were looking when you were in high school that you know that our friend is your mother you stop you know looking for what you're you're stating is your mother and I said, no, that's really wrong. He needs to look for his mother. But was it scary for for a parent that raised the the child to have them need to go look for a biological mother? Yeah, it is. There are all sorts of emotions that you have. Right, right. Well, just to backtrack a little bit, I want to ask you a question that I think a lot of adopt well, well I think a lot of adoptees would benefit from, and adoptive parents, especially adoptive mothers, would benefit from. In your opinion, I think we'd re I'd really like to be know, what would your message be to adoptive parents who, I'm trying to see if I can phrase this in a nice way. Do you believe that hiding information is wrong when they adopt a child and hold it until they're 18 and use the umbrella of they're protecting the child and they think he's just not old enough. Do you think it's the responsibility of the parent to dictate um, when the child should be able to see those records? Or do you feel that when the child's ready, they should have open access? Because there's a lot of adoptive parents out there that you'd be surprised. I've heard many stories of adoptees saying, my parents simply wouldn't allow uh, wouldn't allow me access they'd put it in a safe locket and say when you're 18 you can touch it or there's no need for you to go ask and look for them you have a family here so what do you think about i guess those adoptive parents do you think they're overprotective or do you think they're trying to do what is right and i know that's probably an unfair question because no matter what you say someone's probably going to disagree but i'm just curious of your side of it so your your question is, do I think that it's right or wrong to withhold information? And and that is uh the answer is yes and no. I I I I think that in reality, who is there best to decide for a child when the right time to share information with them is? It is the parent who loves them and are trying to do the best for them. And you can say every parent is different, every situation is different, every child is different. But if, in fact, you're going to give the parent the support to be a parent, then even though the child says, I'm curious, I want to see this, it's, it is the parent who I think needs to really reach deeply within themselves and say, well, what do we share and, and what don't we share? I think that certainly at 18 that those records should be released. 
Um, should they be released before that? Should a, an 11 year old be, be looking for their adoptive parents? Biological parents. Biolo yeah, right, biological right. parents. Um, and should the adoptive parents share all that information with them at that time? I think there are things that the child is ready to understand and not, and there isn't a good answer to that. There isn't a universal one. It, it Some of it is really the comfort of the parent. If the adopted, adoptive parent is really trying to do the best for the child and really believes that that's not right for the child, then that's part of being a parent. It's, there's nothing magical of being right, wrong, or indifferent. You just do the best you can loving your child. And um, and I think for some children and some parents, that isn't being mean. It's being, it's being, protect I know that's not the answer you particularly want, but it's being protective of giving them the information when they're ready. And it depends on the child being able to communicate how important it is to them and the parent being able to try to navigate, well, what kind of information can we find out for you? Um, and are you ready for that information? Because again, right. so I think that you don't know that you don't know what they're going to find. Exactly. But if, if I'm playing devil's advocate here, can we agree that when an adoptive family goes and adopts a child, they know that they are bringing in a child into their family that still has blood relatives out there that one day may want to know information. I feel it's the responsibility of the parent to be, you know, to know what they are doing and, you know, thought ahead saying, hey, I'm adopting this child. Yes, he's my son now or my daughter. Um, I'm going to love him just like any other biological child, but I have to come to terms that at the end of the day, like it or not, he did not come out of me. And maybe he will want to find where he came from. Maybe he will want to find out for medical reasons or closure or identity. Do you agree that the adoptive parents should have that understanding before they adopt a child? But absolutely. And I think that that was the, I, I think that as I understood the question, it's at what point do you share the information and allow the child to go looking or help them to look? And again, I think it depends on the, on the child and on the comfort level of the, of the parent. There isn't a right or wrong answer. And, and yes, I think that very, very obviously for most adopted children, they know that they're adopted. Um, I think. I think that there are some children who, who don't. And breaking that news to them when they're 18, I am not in that situation, so I can't judge it. But I, I can't imagine living with a child and keeping a secret like that from them until they're closer to being an adult. And then, and and then all the all the sixteen or eighteen years of their life have changed in one moment when you say, "Oh, by the way, I'm really not your biological mother or father." So the difference, you know, the difference is making it very obvious that at some point in time, I'll help you look for your biological parents. I understand talking to them about it, understanding that they 
the need that they have to find their biological parents. I think that you were you were pretty mature in that way in what you were looking for and what you wanted to find. I think there are a lot of children, you know, at, at 13, 14, when you started looking, that wouldn't be ready to go do that kind of, of work. And some kids that just aren't particularly as interested. So keeping it open, letting it be available. And I think for some kids, withholding that information until they were ready to be helped at 16 to 18, I don't think is a is a, a bad idea. Because, I mean, you're still close enough to 16 to 18 that maybe you'll- Okay, but maybe, okay. I'm Yes. 10, yes. 10, yeah, nine, of, 10, 10, 11 years later, but yeah. <laughs> yes, but you're closer than I am. I think that at that point in time, you would make lots of decisions. I look back on, on my teenage and 20s years. You would make lots of decisions for yourself that looking back on it may not have been the best decisions. You're still in your developmenting stages and you see what you see and you don't have a perspective to look back on it so the parent working with the child letting them know that yes you are adopted and yes we will work towards finding that information when you're you know when you're ready to do it and i think that there is no better solution whether you agree with the situation or not that the parent makes the decision as to when before 18 that information is is given to the child um it's an interchange between them and um i can see how that could be a really bad thing for a child who really wants to know and that's withheld but in some cases it might be absolutely the right thing you don't know unless you're the parent and the child in that situation right and it can depend give on the parents the a little bit of a break that that in their in, in parents aren't always perfect and they're not always right, but in their best judgment, they have to do what in the love of their child, they feel is the right thing. Um, and, and sometimes that may be not handing over the information to the child when they ask, um, if they don't think that they're really ready for it. Right. That, or, or maybe the information is not going to be as pleasant for them. So they want them to be ready emotionally to receive maybe bad news. Yeah. Well, there that's were it. some you, bad news, but. Um, you don't know what you're going to find. You open Pandora's box and in looking with your child and you don't know. In most cases, you know, the child was adopted. You have some names you don't know what you're going to find um an interest in in meeting that child or or you know making a connection or a complete rejection of that child um i, th I think that's the that's the concern from the parent is having their child be completely rejected after going and and, and having this picture in their mind that they're going to have this great reunion with a, a parent who um it may not fit their the the child's picture and they don't want their and that's what I was trying to explain. The concern is that the fear is not so much of my rejection, but the fear of what you are going to find and how it would affect you. Um 
I mean, I knew who I was and I knew you were adopted and I wanted, I wanted you to be able to explore um, when you were ready, but was I really scared of what you were going to find and how you were going to re how it was going to affect you? Yeah, I was. And there was nothing I could do about it except just let you go forward. Right. Well, I remember that whole process of finding uh, my birth family and everything, but, you know, I think it's equally important to reassure adoptive parents when, a, when like, you know, an adoptee is looking for their biological family to keep them up to date or informed, keep an open dialogue going, uh, because I think it makes both parties more comfortable. For example, you know, every form of communication that I had at the early stages of finding relatives in Russia, I would share all the letters with you and dad to see what they're saying, see what I'm saying. So I, because I, I thought it, it was equally important to keep you involved as well. So if there, if something bad came up or I didn't understand something, you would be kind of in the loop already and you would could try to help explain it. But um, I think that was very important to me. So that's, that's just how I saw it um, with my story. And that's, I think in our particular situation, why it may not be right for every parent. And I would fully support a parent um, who doesn't believe that their child is ready for you as you were looking you didn't make it a, I'm I'm looking for my real parents you were including your biological parents in part of who you were um, and sharing that with us um, and, and and you were mature enough to be able to do that so that was a that it was it was okay and it was it was good to support you in going forward because you were ready right and unfortunately in your situation the the whole story and the um we can go into that if you want to but the the whole story of of finding your uh, biological parents um it, it turned out i think is is a for the for the whole as a positive thing for you definitely um, i mean yeah it's been it's been 10 years since i actually yeah 10 years from um not this month but uh 20 uh, 2013 was when i made contact so it's been 10 years and it was definitely interesting uh ups and downs for sure um but I'm happy I did it. Um, I got, you know, most of the questions answered that I want. And obviously, you know, as it continues, you always find out more and a little bit more. And it's just an evolving process. But um, I'm glad I did it. And for me, it was important just to know for my own sake. But let's talk about, um, you know, I found the family members, shared the information with all of you. You know, things were going great. I was excited. You guys were excited. And here comes 2014, where I am down in New York City with you. We're at the Russian consulate. I am scared out of my mind because I was practicing Russian so I could walk up to the gates and tell them who I was and why I'm down there picking up uh, applying for a Russian passport. And of course, you know, I was practically brain dead. And I stared at the guy with uh, who was standing above me, the Russian guy by the gate 
with cold blue eyes staring at me and I couldn't speak a word of Russian and only English came out. But we're sitting in the consulate. I'm waiting for a Russian pass, uh, um, Russian documents because I'm trying to get a Russian passport because ultimately uh, Russian law, as um, since I was adopted before 2000, the law didn't say that your child is still a Russian citizen, has to be registered at the consulate. The adoption agency didn't know that either because the law wasn't passed yet. I was adopted before all those mandates happened or put in place. So that's why we had that lovely discussion about I'm a citizen. You said no. I said yes. You said no, you're not. I said I'll prove it to you. And I did, for the record. I'm proud. But anyway, all that aside. You were right, David. Thank you. No, yes. but all, all that aside, you know, I'm, you know, we're preparing to go back. I kind of dropped it on you and dad at probably not the best time because everyone was going through a lot. And what were your thoughts when I walked over, came downstairs that one night? I still remember it crystal clear. You and dad are sitting on the couch. I walked down and I sat there and I said, we need to go to Russia. I need to do this. What, what, what were the first thoughts that you had? I don't think I could use the language in public. <laughs> uh, if I can use holy shit, it, it was it was a whole myriad of emotions. And like you said, it's like, how the heck are we going to do that? My my first and foremost is how can we not support you in doing this? Uh, I mean, it it was a. I had no idea how it was going to work out, how we were going to pull this off. You know, I was certainly not going to um, let you go alone. And that's my question back to, to you. You said, I need to go find my biological parents. And, and I said, yes, and, and I'm going with you. Um, I'm not certain at that point that you really wanted company going along to do that. But there was no way that I was that I was comfortable having you go have that experience um, without any emotional support or have that experience. I think wasn't exactly being left out of it, but have that emotional experience and not have any sense of what you just went through. Um, you know. Knowing what it just not being involved as part of it, but knowing and watching and and seeing um, what you went through and the steps you went through and you and and staying involved with it um, allowed us to be part of that part of your life, um, which was very important to you. And I think that we understood it was important to you, and we really, at that point, were both working, running a hospital. Um, and had no idea how we were going to um, be able to pull this off and go. And um, th there were a lot of, a lot of emotions again in from a adoptive parent that truly loves the child and accepts them as their own. I mean, I, I didn't get up every morning thinking, Oh, this is my adopted son. You know, it, it's my son. And when I thought about it, yes, we did adopt you. You did join our family through adoption, but it's my son. 
And now he has this thing that I understood all along and I did understand at the time that you'd really needed to do. And, and telling you you couldn't do it for another two years would just drag out the experience. You were ready, you needed to do it. Um, somehow we had to help you do it. And I had no idea when you first told us how the heck that was going to happen or whether it was a good thing. I, yeah, so no, I, it was not being able to stop you. We sort of had to join the bandwagon and, <laughs> well, uh, and we, could have, we could have said, no, you can't go. Um, but for us at that time and with you, the way you explained it, I think that it, the right decision for us was that we support you and let you go. I'm not, and again, in, in, it is a very individual thing. What reactions you have, the, the, the reasons that the child needs to travel or find their background and the amount of information that they have and the plan that they have um, is, is all so variable that just because I really felt at that point that the, the, the only good decision was to back you and help you figure out how to do this. Um, that's not the right decision for everyone. Right. And I know at the time it was also challenging because um, a few months before we were leaving to go to Russia, um, that's when Russia uh, invaded Crimea and Ukraine. And yeah. remember we had that meeting with Mercy, uh, Mercy was the adoptive agent, uh, adoption agent in, for MAPS in the United States. Um, and she sat down with us at Panera and she, you know, she couldn't have said it better. She said, if there's any political discussion, you're Canadian. You have no input. You don't care. <laughs> you're Swiss or you're Canadian. <laughs> but um, so we're, we, we travel back to Russia. It's uh, we fly down to JFK. We transfer terminals. We get into Russia early in the morning, about seven or eight. Um, we're flying in. We get there. We have Luba uh, pick us up, drive us into the city, and dro drop us uh, off. And she says, I have to go to work. Bye. And just leaves. And the three of us were standing there. We're all in Russia together. And we're there you know there's a lot of emotion running through me and everything um but i'm interested to hear what you thought you know we're there you haven't been to this country since you came to get me and now we're back in it was it nostalgic was it weird did it feel right did it feel wrong you know what when we traveled um you know what 16 years before it was in december everything was covered with snow when we traveled what was it was it june that i'm trying to remember what month it was it was uh june yep yeah it was summer and the and and the country had come a long ways economically and politically at that point when we traveled things other than the fact that they were in Crimea was you know was you know, in a, in a pretty good position. So yeah, part of me from a, a history standpoint and from an interest and a travel standpoint, I was excited. 
um, you were traveling on a Russian passport, and I knew that you, if they wanted to, they could induct you into the army. So was there some concern? You know, but the te technically, that's actually incorrect. And we found this out by that a lot of it. Don't worry. A lot of adoptees and adoptive parents think the same. But if there's actually a clause to that, um, if you hold an international passport, which I do, well, it's expired. That's so it doesn't really mean anything anymore, but um, they consider you you're living abroad, which makes you exempt from military service. And I'm pretty sure the Russian government wouldn't want an American citizen that can't speak that great Russian anymore, you know, in their military. But I get what you're saying, though, in terms of concern. Well, at that time, that's, that's all we knew. Right, exactly. We knew very little about what, what was going what was going on. And... It, it, it was interesting. I found it, you know, sort of fascinating and, and interesting. And I was looking forward to it. Um, and the other side of it is, is, you know, scared to death and didn't know exactly what was going to happen and, and, um, and what we were going to find. So right. you were going to find. And right. I saw it at, at that time that, our position was to be there for support for you. It was your experience. We were going there as a support system. So you could find out what you needed to find out. And as I remember the whole trip, um, it was very much when you were ready to talk, if you wanted to talk, I was there to listen. I figured you needed to process this. If I started asking you lots of questions about your reaction to all of the things that happened, you know, as you met your cousins and met your family, and I got involved in that, I just saw that it would um, it would take away from your experience of getting to know your biological relatives and having that experience. And if I start asking questions, you're going to have to start interpreting it in a way that I'm knowing you, you probably wouldn't want to step on my toes. So you'd have to start interpreting things in ways that you have to be nice about, which may at that point not be really what you were experiencing all the range of emotions that you must have been having. So yes, I was having a, a, a tremendous array of, of emotions um, as as we started on this trip, you know, part of it is excitement of seeing a new place in the trip, part of it knowing why we were there, part of it meeting the the Zoya, the contact, who had actually chosen you and matched you to our family um, all those years ago, and how important that person was to actually meet in person. So all of those things were were on my mind on that first night. Um, that and the restaurant that we went to around the corner that had the the mixed grill, which was oh, the best food I ever the, had. It, so that restaurant, I'll never forget it. It's called the KB44. So whoever goes to Moscow, 
KB44, the best meat platter, the best tall beers. They loved Americans. They thought I was hilarious because I was loud, and I kept ordering another one, ordering another one, because, of course, all my Russian came back. I apparently knew how to say, another beer, please. <laughs> um, but so we're back in Russia, um, and I think the real, the real big emotional part was when um, it was just you and me. So, you know, dad had to go back to watch the practice and we got on the train to go to Smolensk. You know, what, what were you thinking? It must've been out of this world in your mind that you're sitting in a train with me with two Russian strangers. We're on a train ride going back to Smolensk to see the Krasny Bor, the orphanage I'm from, meet the director, meet the nurses that looked after me all those years ago, meet relatives, go to the city I was born in. I mean, what, what were your thoughts sitting on that train that uh, morning as we were just going through the countryside? Mm. That I was pretty darn lucky to be in this situation in the first place. That I, again, I, there, there wasn't an emotion that I wasn't having. You know, happy, sad, scared, um, jealous, I, you know, to be realistic, there wasn't really an emotion that I wasn't ha having. I was really looking forward to you finding some answers, whatever that was, some answers or some, uh, something that ha helps you um, settle um, the background that you have. Um, and what life has handed you. you know, it, it, life gave you adoptive parents um, and you found your biological parents and, and somehow you had to put that all together so that you could live comfortably with it. Um, and I was just hoping that, that you could do that. And then we got to Smolensk and your biological family and, and, and I was concerned, what are they going to be like? You know, are they going to, are they going to look forward to seeing you? Um, you got off the train and your cousins and your uncle and aunt grab you and grandmother grab you and throw you in a car and drive away. And the driver that we had arranged and I were left standing. Pa Pavel. Yeah. Pavel. Yeah. He was and the I'm driver. Like, yeah. We yeah, got, we got, we got off the train. I remember that. And actually yes. I remember, I remember falling off the train cause I stepped yes, on the train. You tripped over the steps of your suitcase and fell down on your uncle. No, no, not the uncle. No, it was the train uh, conductor. I fell in on his boot or whatever. And I think he swore at me in Russian, but <laughs> um, yeah, we got off the platform. My relatives came out. They greeted me, hugged me, cried. It was unbelievable. And I remember I got stuck in the back of a car with our guide, Dasha, and uh, grandmother and grandfather, and we just took off. I didn't yeah, know where they, we were they going. Just, they just, they yeah, just... And, they, and they just left, and I was, and, and didn't say anything to me, and I was left there not really knowing where they were taking you and not being able to do anything about it. I mean, you talk about uh, a parent being horrified. It's like watching your child in a you know, going down in a plane crash and not being able to do anything about it. Fortunately, you knew the hotel we were staying in. And... The Usadba Hotel, yeah. yeah. And um, I think they are, I already told the family in advance what hotel we were staying at. So luckily they 
drove me there first and then you showed up and thank you know thankfully we both showed up there um so we're in you know we're in russia we got to get to know my relatives got to go on those really cool outings um i have found out i have a cousin who's a nun we got to go out and drink milk and have bread made that was fresh we had the dinner at baba's we had the italian dinner with the whole family um we got to go to the baby home and i got to meet the nurses i mean that must have been an unbelievable moment for you to see the the blue little house that i was from and now you're looking at there you know you're looking at that house you were there with your mom it was zero degrees it was cold you wanted to get me out of the country so bad fast forward i'm now standing next to you and we're looking at that house but i'm next to you now as an adult what, what what's on your mind well part of it in my memories is it is that we've come a long ways um it was nice to see the home was still in in good shape I tried to explain to them which house you came out of. I mean, there was no question in my mind. I knew exactly which building that you had been housed in. And they said, no, they never had had children in that house. That's, I can't remember what they said that that house was used for, but it's never, you know, it's never been used, you know, as to house um, infants and, and babies and I'm going, I guess I won't argue with them. Um, but it was, it was, it was nostalgic for me to see the, the toys in the yard. Um, you know, and the, I, I remember one thing and I, and I, and at the time I was thinking that's probably really good. The, the, you get the sense of this sort of idealistic, um, environment because it was an it was a nice nice house nice little house all the kids were inside at nap time when we were there and they allowed us to come visit and excused us before nap time was over and seeing all the kids out playing and actually meeting the kids I think might have been emotionally a lot more difficult for you, but I'm not certain if I wasn't putting that on you and it was be more emotionally difficult for me. You know, knowing where they are and that you can't take them all home um, and s seeing you go back after that time. And I, I remember you had collected a donation um, through high school um or college yeah and, it was a, co it was a college project yeah and yeah, uh, we collected all yeah, back to, to help the baby home yeah two thousand um, dollars which was actually a decent amount of money over there yeah so i was very proud of you to to be there and again a lot of what i was going through at that time is sitting back and you weren't i, I think as a as a parent um and i would warn other parents that might travel with their children, I did not ask you a lot of questions. I was there and open if you wanted to talk, but I figured when the time was right, if you wanted to share how you felt or when we got home and, and I was ready to ask you, I would push the issue. But when we were there and you were experiencing it, I didn't ask you a lot and you didn't say much of anything. 
So part no, of it, it worked was, out. Yeah, it worked out perfectly. Because part I, of me was the whole time going, how is he reacting to this? What is he thinking? He wouldn't really want to just stay. You know, does he really care, still care about us? Um, because you had talked a lot about your your family. It was important to you, your biological family and, and what they meant to you. And that was really the the your your heart and soul and um and and you don't talk about that way to your to your parents when they live with you and hand you the car keys or not you know it's, it's you know so there was a lot of me at that time that that was just sort of sitting and waiting and it was really difficult to allow you the space to explore um and consider and ponder what you were experiencing and to just experiencing it without having me sort of get in the way. Um, um, and would I have let you do that by yourself? Not in a million years, but. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 <clears throat> I'm really glad that I didn't do it by myself. And to answer your question from, um, I think the last discussion, I, I always intended when I wanted to go back to have you come with me. I really didn't want to do it alone because I just And I think wanted... the fact that because of, because I went originally, it was a special trip for me. Dad didn't go along, but it was a special trip for me because I was the one that had made the trip to Smolensk. And it was very nostalgic for me. And, and I got to experience where you were from, where the first time, again, it was the middle of the winter, we stayed indoors and a lot of the experience we had was focused on uh, get the paperwork done and get out of there before they shut the, the adoption process down. Because as I said, we at the airport, we were seeing people who were going home having met their potential adopted children and never being able to take them home. So that that was really the, the breath holder the whole time. Right. Uh, so going back, I was able to actually look around and see and remember um and enjoy some of that because some of the pressure was off but the whole time the whole you know 10 days that we were out there it was i wonder how he's reacting to this i wonder how he's comparing um i wonder what his feelings are and i really 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 want to ask but i'm not going to so you well, know, I, mom well enough to know sometimes as a parent and, and again to other adoptive parents it's sometimes the hardest thing in the world to wait and and to not to be the center of of their lives as a parent but um to not push yourself into the center um right well you know you mentioned how i was very quiet and i remember i was very quiet for a lot of trip because i was taking it in but um, a memory I have that will always stick with me, and I think you can agree, is it was the last night in Smanyansk where you and me were sitting out of that restaurant we liked because of the uh, borscht we really Oh, liked. I, I get we, to tell this story. Uh, okay, okay, all right. So to okay. the adopted parents that may be listening to this, I had gotten gone on, it was about a two-week trip. We did some, some touring and some visiting and some... Um, um, and, and saw the sights in Moscow. And then we took the train out to Smolensk, met David's family, 
um, they took him to the Russian Orthodox Church and dunked him in a in a, a cold water bath and baptized him and introduced him to his aunt the nun and introduced him to his real biological grandmother and um, the aunt um, and her husband and the cousins were just enthralled with David. Um, they were so loving and so nice in, in, in taking us in. But then the whole time I'm watching this and David's having a great time. And I'm sort of the bad guy in all of this because one of the aunts even said, so why would you adopt a Russian child? Was the translation of what she asked is like, there has to be something really creepy about you. But again, I was trying to stay stay back and stay out of it. I think that by the end, they were starting to trust me that I wasn't I I wasn't doing you harm. Um, and the very last night uh, after David's not going through all this experience and not saying really much about it at all, just not saying anything at all. I have no idea where he's coming from, and. We're sitting having dinner and he looks at me and says, Mom, I think it's I think I'm ready to go home or I think it's time to go home. <laughs> you know? Yep, that's that's right. I we were sitting there eating a borsh and there it was right next to the, you know, the train track. We saw the trains in Smanyansk and I was just eating the borsh and we weren't really saying much and then I just kinda just sat there, looked around and I'm like I'm like, you know, mom. I want to go home now and you just <laughs> you looked at me I think you like started shedding some tears and you're just like I am yeah. so happy you said that and I'm like and I said well it's I'm like well you know I had a I had a blast uh it's a great country to visit I could never live here and um I'm tired I'm ready to go home and yes. uh the, and I kept myself together the whole trip emotionally until the last day when we were at the train station and I was, uh, we were sitting in the train, right? Um, we were waving to the relatives and I was fine. I'm like, okay, you know, this is good. It's okay. Yeah, it's kind of sad. And as soon as the train bumped forward, I just fell apart. I remember I started bawling my eyes out and you were holding on to me. And I was bawling my eyes out. They were waving. I was crying and then got over it after we left. But then after that, it was just, you know, history pretty much we got back to the capital and then we spent the night woke up in the morning had that random guy named yvonne that my uncle arranged to pick us up where i'm pretty sure you said along the lines of uh i really don't want to die in this country <laughs> and, and uh back to the u.s we went so yeah, russians driving skills are uh 10 out of 10 work or would work well in in the destruction derby rings but not particularly on the highway yeah no um you know i you know i think from both of us there was so much i think that uh, again from, from a um a parent that might be listening to this there is i think it has to be something that no matter what you stay you do your best to stay in touch with the child you have uh, help them navigate what they have to do in in the process of making peace with who they are as an individual um, and and trust that 
your child is going to feel the way they're going to feel and um and that you need to support that and and that is that is not easy it's really difficult and all the and understanding all the emotions that you have is wanting to go home having just met your biological family and then leaving them you know there's a lot of there is just tremendous amounts of emotion i think that it was good that we could without saying anything too much for 10 days um that we were able to be there and support each other right yeah and that's something that i think you have to admit for adopting a child and then being able to experience a trip like that is a bond that I guess you could say a biological child would never be able to experience with their own mother. It's something that's going to bring the two together deeper than you can even talk about, which I think is really special because at least speaking on uh, my relationship with you, that moment on, I think I've felt closer to you than ever. And I will for the rest of my life because I'm grateful and that just opened my eyes. And the fact we got to do that together was just, it was incredible. I mean, looking back on it, it's, it was like a fairy tale. I mean, it went by so quickly. I still can't even imagine that we did it, but we pulled it off and we did it without really anything bad happening. We got back safe and, um, we get to get put in the Russian, I did, I did get put in the Russian military. Nope. So and now we're back here and we get to write books and yeah. talk on podcasts about it. So um, that that's pretty much my Russian story. And I think um, you did a great job explaining your uh, end of things. So I'd like to leave the podcast off with just one to two sentences from you to everyone listening um, about adoption. It can be about adoption in general or any last words of wisdom because you are a very wise woman you know a lot and i trust your opinion so if you'd like to leave off the episode with any advice maybe for adoptive parents yeah put me on the spot here yes i am i would you know i would say that if you if you have love in your heart and and the and the desire to to um have a child in your family um, it makes no difference in it, personally for me, and I think everyone is different. It, it makes no difference whether the child is biological or adopted, that adoption is a wonderful option, but that having a child is um, helping that child, whoever that not, not having a child that you're going to, um, um, have a, a picture of how they're going to be and trying to and spend your whole life trying to make them that way. But having that child in your family that you're willing to support um, to be the, the person that, the, the best person that they can be. And I would say that our whole family has learned more from David, sometimes not, sometimes lessons that we didn't want to learn you know, sometimes being flexible in ways that that um, that we didn't understand that we were inflexible. But I think that he has added a dimension to the family that we all have learned things um, and that for potential adoptive parents that um, 
adding another child to your to your family only adds adds to your uh, problem solving issues, but also adds tremendously more than that to the to the love and the and the depth of your life. Those are amazing words. Um, it that was that was very yeah, moving for me, obviously personally coming from you. But I hope uh, other adoptive parents and adoptees will listen to this and find some answers that uh, they're looking for, especially adoptive parents, because I know there's a lack of adoptive parents that are willing to come forward and talk about it. But now we have this platform where I think you're going to inspire a lot more to come on and speak about their um, adoption experience with their children as well. Well, David, let me know if there are questions that come up or or you can do a podcast with a, a forum for, for parents. So I think that that is sort of the, the primary thought in my mind that every every adopted parent's experience is different. And you look at it from a child and a child's perspective on on the same situation is going to be very different from a parent. So and adoptive parents are an important part of this putting together the whole, you know, adoptees, their issues. It's, you know, the, the, the having the parents understand more is, and, and the adoptees understand the parents and why they do what they do um, is important. So if, if questions come up or there's anything that I can do to add, I'd be happy to do that. And, um, thank you for the invite and have a wonderful evening. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on and sharing your experience. Dr. Cheryl Schunk from New Hampshire, thank you again very, very much. From the bottom of my heart, your son to you. Thank you. I love you very much. This was another episode here on Voice of Adoptees. My name is David Schunk, signing off. Remember to check us out online at www voiceofadoptees.com. You can subscribe to all of our platforms, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, and more. We'll be releasing episodes weekly every Wednesday. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time here at Voice of Adoptees. Here, who am I? <laughs>